Our passage this morning comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. You can find that on page 531 in the paperback Bibles in your seats. I invite you to pick those up and read along with us. If you don't have a Bible, uh, take one of those Bibles home and make it yours. We, uh, we'd love for you to take a copy of the Word of God. All right, so here we go. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. As they were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high, the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But... When they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed even th through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to, this, to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the Word of God. All right, so let's jump into this. We're, we're looking at Acts chapter 4, and uh, so far, if you've been with us the, in the book of Acts, you know that this has been a pretty uplifting book. Um, this is, I'm going to try to switch over to my other microphone, see how that goes. Okay, this has been a pretty uplifting book. Um, lots of good things have happened. The people have started to, to preach. The Holy Spirit's starting to work and to move. Uh, there's a great response. Thousands of people are coming to faith as Peter preaches. But, but today, in chapter 4, we're kind of coming, crashing back down to reality. This is where we start to see the opposition coming in. 
Uh, this is where we are reminded that there is not a perfect reception of the gospel in this world. And that's good for us because uh, this is more like the world we live in. Um, we live in a world where there is a lot of opposition to the gospel message. And as we take time to study that today, um, I, I hope this is going to be a good reminder for us. A reminder of a couple of things. One, that the gospel brings life. The gospel brings healing. The gospel brings wholeness that is beyond compare. But also, following Jesus is costly. And it's a cost that a lot of people consider to be too high. Uh, So that's where we're headed this morning. We're going to talk about the power of the gospel. We're going to talk about the cost of the gospel. And then we're going to talk about the irresistibility of the gospel when we truly see it. The power, the cost, and the irresistibility of the gospel. So that's what we're doing first. Let's, let's talk about the power of the gospel first. Most of our passage that, that I just read a moment ago um, is about this negative response. It's about this critical crowd that when they hear uh, what Peter and John have to say, they're really upset. And before we get into that, before we start digging into their complaints, I want to just remind you of the situation. I want to remind you about What's going on? What, we talked about a little bit of this last week in chapter 3. Um, what happened in the chapter right before this is Peter came across uh, a man who was 40 years old. He was over 40 years old, and he was lame, paralyzed. He had been paralyzed from birth. And like a lot of people who are, are paralyzed, this man was uh, incapable of working, and he was sitting outside the, uh, hoping for... Uh, people to, to give him change and to help him to, to get by. And, and when he looked up, when this man saw Peter, he was expecting that Peter and John might give him some money. But instead, Peter said these extremely powerful words to him. Do you remember? He said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Now, Steve, he did a great job preaching on this for us last week, so I don't really need to repeat uh, what he's already said, but I I just want to remind you of of the situation, because I know that if you have lived in Boston, you have seen this exact situation before. Maybe some of you have have lived in this situation before. Um, Just this week, I I came across a quadriplegic man in downtown Crossing who was uh, in a motorized wheelchair, but he was homeless. And uh, it was starting to snow outside. And people were passing by, and some people were giving him change. But it was a really uh, desperate situation. It was was heart-wrenching to see it. It seemed like maybe there was, I didn't know if there was anybody around who was going to help this guy. Um, But when you see that, or when you experience that, it's, it's troubling. You feel powerless. You feel heartbroken over that person's situation. And then you think, well, I can't even do anything to help them. What could I possibly do that would make an impact? Well, if if you felt that way in Boston, you need to know that this man in Acts was in a much worse off situation than anybody in the 21st century would ever be, right? This is in a time before there are shelters to go to. This is a time before there was insurance or there was medical care. This man, he had no safety net. There was no place to fall back. He was doomed. 
to a life of, of suffering. But then in just one moment, when Peter showed up, everything changed for him. Just by speaking the name of Jesus Christ, this man is totally and miraculously healed. And it tells us in verse 7 of chapter 3, it says that Peter took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk. It's really awesome. Steve talked about this last week, but he didn't get up shaky. He didn't get up frail. He, he gained a strength that he had never, ever had before. In that moment, do you realize what was happening? God was, was recreating his body. God was putting something in him that had never been in him before. But the point of all of that, and what Peter's talking about this week, is that wasn't just a flashy show. That miracle wasn't even, it wasn't just a visual aid. It wasn't just a proof. But this, this miracle is a sign. Healing that lame and paralyzed man, that was a sign about what Jesus does for every one of us. It's what Jesus does for each and every one of our, our souls. Scripture tells us that when we believe in Jesus, when we follow him as, as Lord, when we know him as Savior, that's the kind of healing that he works in our hearts. Because spiritually, we are as bad off as that lame man was physically. We have been wrongly formed by our sin. Apart from God, we are as incapable of becoming spiritually healthy human beings as that man was to stand up and walk. And probably the most devastating thing about that truth, the most devastating reality about our helpless and hopeless state is that we're blind to it. We don't even realize it. You know, to take the illustration a little further, if we are spiritual quadriplegics, but, but, but we think we just have a backache. We think what we need is, is just to go see the chiropractor. And if you don't believe me, I, I challenge you, after you leave here, not right now, go on your phones and, and open up your app store and search for spiritual health. You know what's going to show up? It's going to be a long list of apps of things that you can do to fix yourself. Apps about meditation, looking inside yourself. There's, there's an app on there that's called self-healing. But I want to tell you right now, that stuff can't help you. It's not going to help. The world is going to tell you that the answer to your problems is inside of yourself. But you cannot fix your soul any more than that lame man could fix his broken body. The only thing that can change us, the only thing that can fix us, the only thing that can make us healthy is a complete and absolute surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? Our spirits, they don't just need a little massaging. We need to be reborn. We need to be reformed. We need to be saved. And only Jesus can do that. That's why Peter, he says it in our passage. That's exactly what he says. Chapter 4, he says, There is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We need to be saved. Not just slightly fixed. But the great news is, Jesus can save us. He can do it. He can make us alive again. He can take us from our deadness and make our hearts leap again. He can make our souls into what they were meant to be. That's why I really love Peter's response in chapter 3, where he says, I don't have silver. I don't have gold. But what I do have, I give to you. I love it because it's this beautiful reminder that the most important thing we have to give as Christians, as the people of God, the greatest gift that we have is Jesus. What you and I need more than anything else is Jesus. And we don't believe that most of the time. In the church, I think we, we don't believe that most of the time. We, we are... So, so often consumed we're we're so concerned with meeting people's secondary needs instead of giving the one thing we've really got to offer now i'm i'm all for meeting people's secondary needs don't misunderstand i think that that churches should feed the hungry uh, I think that, that we should be really concerned about feeding the hungry in our community. And I, and I like biblical counseling. I think we should send people to, to good biblical counselors. I think tutoring kids at the local schools, that's a really good way for us to love our neighbors and, and invest our time. But I want to say, if that's our primary focus, if that's the main thing that we are doing, what are we even here for? There are a lot of organizations in this city that can do that a lot better than us. If you think that's the main purpose of the church, well, you should probably go spend your time, you know, at Rosie's Place or, or Community Servings because they can do that stuff better than we can do it. It's not that that stuff's unimportant. It's just that they're secondary. The thing that we are here for, the thing that we have to offer is not just food, that's going to satisfy somebody for the night. But we, what we have is living water. That when people drink from it, they will never be thirsty again. The church is offering people eternal life. They're offering people connection with a God, the Father who, who loves them. We are here to offer Christ himself. The name of Jesus brings total healing to the broken. The name of Jesus reconciles us to the God who created us. The name of Jesus gives us eternal life. In this life, as you and I, as we follow him, he is the only one who can, he can, who can truly heal our wounds who can minister to our souls, who can transform our unhealthy, sinful, selfish, jealous, insecure, anxious, crippled souls into souls that can leap for joy. That's the power of the gospel. Now, when you think of that way, it sounds really great, right? If the gospel can do all that... Man, that's pretty amazing. 
if the gospel can really heal us, if the gospel can really make our souls leap again, well, who would turn it down? Why would anybody reject that kind of power? Well, that brings me to the, the second thing I want to talk about this morning. And that's the cost of the gospel. Open up your Bibles if you got them. We're going to start digging in more to this passage now. Verse 1, it said, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Okay, so after this miracle, when the people saw it, we, we see that it was, it was a powerful event. Uh, uh, thousands of people started believing. Thousands of people joined themselves to the church that day. But not everybody, right? Not everybody was so excited. The people in power... These people who are in leadership, they're not, they're not just on the fence. <laughs> they're not just kind of standing by the side, considering this a little bit. But they are ticked off. They are against the apostles in, in this absolute and forceful way. They hate what they are doing. But why? What kind of sense does that make? What kind of sense does it make? Why would anybody see a person who had been laying on the ground, incapable of moving for 40 years, see that man healed and jumping around and, and, and perfectly restored? Why would anybody see that and say, no thanks, no, that's not for me. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. If, if you guys could just move on, you know, shut up about it and get out of here. Why would anybody do that? Well, to understand their reaction, I think we need to understand who these guys were. We need to understand a little bit about where they were coming from, because it actually makes a little more sense than you might think. Um, we're told in the passage, these guys are the Sadducees. If you've been around church long enough, I'm sure you've heard the name Sadducees. Maybe you've wondered what that was all about. Well, let me tell you. The Sadducees, they were uh, a sect of Judaism. So they were Jewish people, Jewish leaders, leaders in the temple, and they were especially influential people. They had a lot of power in Jerusalem at that time. They were kind of calling the shots. And when they saw Peter and, and John, they had three main problems with them. First, they were upset about their lack of education. These guys, they were professionals. They had trained and worked hard to achieve their status. And, and, and Peter and John, we find out that, that they are astonished in verse 13 because they are uneducated, common men. They see these guys preaching and they say, these, these guys aren't licensed to preach, right? These are, the, these are the Presbyterian pastors of the day. These guys, did the Presbyterian examine them? How did they get here? These guys are, are unofficial. They haven't been vetted. What are they talking about? So they don't like that. They don't like their theology either. That's their second objection. Do you notice that it didn't say they're mad because they're preaching about Jesus? Uh, Luke tells us they're mad because they were proclaiming in Jesus 
the resurrection from the dead. The number one thing that the Sadducees believed was uh, they, they believed in, in the Old Testament scriptures, but they did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe there was anything else after you died. The, in seminary, there was a shortcut to try to help you remember this. You know, do, do you remember this? Like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, the different people. You try to remember what they thought. And, and at least in my classes, Steve was in some of my classes, they taught me that the reason, maybe this was undergrad, maybe that's why you don't remember. The, 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 you can remember that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection because they are sad, you see. Yeah, that, so the Sadducees, that's their main thing. They don't believe in the resurrection. Now, when they hear that these guys are, are preaching the resurrection, uh, they, they're, they're irritated. These guys aren't educated. Their theology is wrong. But that's not the main problem. The main problem they had was a political problem. See, unlike other Jewish groups at the time, unlike the Zealots or the Pharisees, who were also very prominent during that day, uh, unlike those guys who, they really resented Roman rule. They were kind of kicking against the oppressive Roman government. The Sadducees were complicit with the Roman government. They cooperated with them. And as a result, the Sadducees had money. The Sadducees had property. They had land. The Sadducees had power. They had influence. And so when these two-bit fishermen come in and they start preaching about the resurrection, they're talking about the end times. When they're talking about this Messiah who's the true king who's come to, to save the day immediately, these Sadducees, they're worried about an uprising. They're worried about a revolt. They're, they're worried about angering the emperor and losing it all. These Sadducees, they're counting the cost. They recognize that, that there, is, there will be a real cost to them if this message is believed. And you know what? Those were fair concerns. These guys were going to lose a lot. If they were personally going to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, it, it might cost them everything. So let's, let's think about that for a minute. Let's dig into that for, for just a moment, because I think we can actually learn something from that this morning in this room. See, I think their decision was wrong. I think the way they, they ended up at the end of the story was bad, but I think they were right about at least one thing. Following Jesus is costly. The gospel, like we were just talking about, Point number one, it is immensely powerful. There is nothing in this world that can compare to the glory of knowing Jesus. There's no healing like the healing that he can bring in our lives. There is nothing on earth that can compare to the joy of truly knowing Jesus. But that doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean it, 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 it's, it's, it's easy. In Matthew 11, do you remember this story? Jesus is preaching and he's teaching. And it tells us that John the Baptist, he's in prison. 
and he's pretty disillusioned about everything. He thought he was going to be uh, somebody great, and now he realizes he's about to die in jail. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him, what the heck's going on? <laughs> Is this, are you the guy or, or not? And here's how Jesus responds. He says, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I think that would have been a great message for the Sadducees to hear that day. As they looked at this healed man. Because they were being offended by the gospel. And they were right. The gospel is offensive. If you really understand what it's saying, the gospel is offensive. It's saying that you are sinful and separated from God. It's saying that you are helpless and hopeless apart from Him. It says what Revelation says, that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked apart from God. But it tells us that the living God sent His Son to die for our sins so that the spiritually blind could see again. So that the poor could be made rich in His kingdom. So that in the, the nakedness and the shame of our sin, we would be covered and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Jesus came so the lame could leap for joy. But if that's the transition, if that's where, 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 where Jesus is going to take us from here to here, why would that be easy? Why would that process, why would we expect that to be painless? Okay, well, on one hand it is easy. I don't want to make it too complicated, right? To, to be cleansed, all you got to do is repent and believe. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. That's all it takes. But here's why I'm saying it's not easy. If you follow Jesus... If you turn and you follow him, if you decide that from now on, I'm going to live in a lifelong relationship with a perfect and righteous and omniscient and all-powerful, holy God, well, then every morning, you're going to be faced with the fact that you are not like him. Every morning, you're going to see a lot of places where you fall short of his standard. Every morning, you're going to realize that God's Values are not always our instinctive values. The things he wants are not always the things that we want. In Isaiah 55, do you remember this passage? God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. Do you remember that? Man, that is, that is so true. As you read the Word of God, as you get to know the truth, you're going to find some of the things that God has to say to you are offensive. They're going to offend you. They're going to push your buttons. They're going to make you angry. I've heard it said like this. I mean, why wouldn't it be that way, right? Why wouldn't this be the case? People are sometimes shocked when they get offended by the Bible. But, but why wouldn't it be that way? I mean, 
you guys have relationships with other people, right? Other human beings. Have you ever known a single person in all your life where you perfectly agreed with them all the time? Of course not. Everybody you know, you come into conflict with eventually. Well, why wouldn't it be that way with God? Why do, you, why do we assume that we're going to think the same way that God thinks? That he's always going to pat us on the back and tell us we've, we've, we've figured it out. No. If you know God, you're going to be constantly made aware that there's a lot of places in your life where your thinking is just flat out wrong. Where your desires are wrong. Where, where your value system, your worldview is wrong. And for you to follow Jesus, it means you've got to give that up. It means you have to surrender that to him. You have to let it go. So for the Sadducees that we just read about, for those guys in power, to follow Jesus, that meant that they would have to value Christ and the promises of his kingdom more than they valued the promises of the Roman kingdom. More than they valued their land and their property and their wealth. They'd have to choose Jesus over that stuff. And you know, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same position that for us to follow him, it means we're going to have to constantly surrender to his commands. And sometimes that's going to be really costly. Maybe we're going to have to give up our comfort like they did. Or maybe we'll have to, to side against our culture on a political issue. Or maybe we'll have to, to give up a relationship that's sinful. Or, or maybe we'll have to surrender our sexual ethic to the Bible's sexual ethic. We may have to disobey the laws of men in order to obey the laws of God. You know, that's what we see at the end of this passage. But whatever it is, there's always a cost. God's ways are higher than our ways. So here's what I want you to consider. If you are a Christian in this room, if you think you're following Jesus in this room, and you don't see that cost, if you've managed to, to walk with the Lord for this long, and you say, well, I don't really see any place where it's rubbing me the wrong way, well, I want you to ask yourself, could it be that you're not really following Jesus? Maybe you're just following yourself. The Sadducees, they came to the wrong conclusions when they chose their wealth, when they chose their status over the gospel. But at least they saw it clearly. They knew there was a cost to following Jesus, and the cost is high. The cost is complete and utter surrender. It's giving up everything to follow him. But that brings us to the last point, which is the irresistibility of the gospel. Because what I want to tell you this morning is that even though the cost is high, when you truly see Jesus, when you truly get a glimpse of who he is, there is absolutely no one who can turn away. See, the thing I can't get over about this passage is that 
The healed man, the guy who was paralyzed, he is there the whole time. Did, did you pick up on that when I was reading it? In 14, these, these elders, these, these Sadducees, they're gathered around. They're judging Peter and John, and it tells us, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them, and it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. The guy was there. He was standing there the whole time. It was a, an absolute firm fact. Everybody had seen that this paralyzed man was healed, and he was, he was there. A lot of times when I'm meeting people, when I'm talking to them about Jesus, one thing they say to me is, well, you know, if, if God would just show me a miracle, then I'd believe. If he'd just give me a sign, you know, if Jesus would just come back one more time, that would really help me out. But this passage right here, it's proof that maybe not. That a miracle all by itself doesn't prove anything to anybody. That our hearts are so hard that we can have uh, something happen right in front of our face and we don't even care. See, miracles themselves, they can't, you know, seeing one can't open the eyes of somebody who's spiritually blind. Right? They couldn't deny it. They're like, oh, we can't deny this happened. It happened. Everybody knows it happened. They just don't care. They aren't even thinking about, well, what, what does it mean that this guy can walk? What does this say about who Jesus is? They just want to do whatever it takes to protect what they really love. They want to do whatever it takes to protect their status that they really worship. And I bet some of you are in that same situation today. Not just non-believers, but I'm talking about some of you Christians here who come here every week. You have seen clearly that God is calling you to give something up. You have seen that obediently following Jesus is going to cost you something. You know that there is some place in your life where you're living in rebellion and you've heard God's word. And maybe you've seen the healing that he's brought to other people. Maybe you see people joyfully following Jesus. You know that, that obedience to him is, is great and yet you refuse to give in. Because of the cost. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to look again. But instead of focusing on that thing that you are so afraid to give away, instead of focusing in on the cost, instead of thinking about what you stand to lose if you follow Jesus, I want you to think about the reward. Do you realize that obedience to God has a 100% success rate. Do you know that? Do you know that, that surrendering to Jesus has a 100% guaranteed rate of success? And that whatever that thing is in your life that you think is too costly to give up, do you know that is actually the one thing that has you in chains? You think that you're holding on to it, but it's holding on to you. It's the one thing standing between you truly knowing God. Having a soul that can leap for joy. 
That one thing that you're clinging to, that is the source of your spiritual paralysis. And God, he wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to become that that leaping, dancing child of God that he created you to be. And to do that, he calls you to give up everything. But only so he can fill you up with spiritual blessings that you can't even imagine. He wants to give you the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But even more than that, he wants you to give him, he wants to give you himself. He wants to give you his, his spirit, his presence in your life. He wants you to know the greatness of his salvation. Take your eyes off the cost and look at the reward. Look at what's waiting on the other side. And look, if that seems too scary for you, let me remind you that Jesus has already given up for you way more than he is asking you to give up for him. Jesus gave up everything. He gave up his self on the cross. He died for you. I want you to believe that this morning. I want you to believe it right now. The living God is speaking to you this morning. He's saying, come follow me. He's saying, come surrender. He's saying, come experience my love and my joy in a way you haven't experienced it ever before, in a way you haven't experienced it in a long time. And here's how you can know if that's happening for you. This is the last thing I'm going to say, but here's how you can know if, if this is really what's taking place in your life. When you see Jesus, when you hear his call, you can't turn it down. You can't resist. When you truly see Jesus... You can't be like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the leaders of the temple. You can't just push the the lame man aside and ignore him. When you see that Jesus is real, that he's the living God, when you realize the, the reward, the eternal reward of knowing him, then it doesn't matter what the cost is. There's actually nothing that can stop you. That's what, what we see with Peter, right? They say, the, the, the leaders get together and they say, okay, 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 we can't deny it. But whatever happens, when you guys leave from here, just don't talk about Jesus anymore. And what do they say? Well, we're not going to do that. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. If that's the law, I'm, you ask yourself, should I obey you or should I obey God? That's what happens to people who know Jesus. There's nothing that can stop us from following him. There's nothing that we desire more than him. There's no punishment that we fear because we know that the reward is greater. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. When you see Jesus, you can't resist. The joy of knowing Christ, it it outweighs the cost. It's the greatest gift this world has ever seen. I'm going to close in prayer. Um, And I want to invite you to respond as I'm praying. I'm just going to be honest. This isn't easy stuff that I'm talking about. I don't want to make it seem like this is something that that I have mastered because I'm up here telling you. This is a constant daily struggle. But I can speak to you from experience and say, when God calls you to surrender, 
he, he responds to you with joy. Let's pray. Father, um, we need you. We need you to move powerfully in us. We need you to transform our lives and change them. We can't do this on our own. So would you meet us? Would you redeem us? Would you save us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.